All right, well, this is our last um, part of the church metaphors, and, and we've gone through several. This is our fifth one. So if you're visiting with us today, first of all, my name is Philip, and I'm the pastor here, and I'm glad you're here. But, but second of all, um, this is kind of a different sort of sermon in that we're going to cover three metaphors all at the same time and kind of wrap up a series. So normally, um, there's a theme that goes from the very beginning, from the very opening, all the way through the end, and it kind of all wraps together, although... Sometimes you're wondering where in the world it's going, and I get that. That's no problem. But it, oh, it is going somewhere. Um, but uh, this one's going to be three kind of metaphors, and um, we're going to start with John chapter 10. So if you can turn to John chapter 10, that would be great. So John chapter 10. Your Bible. John chapter 10. So before we read this, how many of you have Duke energy? Yeah. So do I. Yeah. I was hoping it was another company. All right. Here we go. Verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. For I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So the metaphor is flock. That's the metaphor here. And we could actually talk about several things with this. This could actually be a whole series of messages on the flock and how, it, how it's a metaphor and how it works out in the church. For instance, I wrote down a couple of things that we could, we could talk about. We could talk about the one true shepherd and the false shepherds. The one true shepherd and the false shepherd. 
um, the one true shepherd would be Jesus Christ. The others would be anybody that would say that they are Jesus. It would also be any of them that would say or think that they're as powerful as Jesus. So we could talk about that. We could take this passage of scripture and talk about under shepherds and men that are truly called of God and men that aren't truly called of God. We, we could do that. If, if this was a group of pastors, it would be a great, a great sermon because there are some people that get in this position that the only reason that they're here is to make money or to have a job or maybe they couldn't sell insurance, so this is all they could do. Right? So those are hired hands. The problem with hired hands is they leave when it gets hot. That's, what, that's the problem with hired hands. Someone that is called is totally different. They're not here for the money. They're here for something else, something greater, something that's not of this world, but of the next. And they see the value in people being saved, ministered to, and helped through life. That, that is a stark difference. So when, the, when it gets hot, that shepherd protects as best as he can. They're total difference. So we could talk about that. That's a whole, that's a whole sermon. We could talk about why following is so important for the flock. And I would say that when we would talk about that, it would be a follower of, of people that come to the church as well as the pastor that's called. We all follow one true shepherd, and that is Jesus Christ. I'm just an under-shepherd of the real shepherd. That's all I am. So I have to follow him, and you have to follow him, and hopefully we're doing it together as one flock. We could talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. Although we just talked about it for a couple minutes, because I'm a pastor and I'm Baptist. Um, we could talk about how sheep should not really make their own decisions. That would be a very eye-opening sermon, actually. I have that sketched out. I'm just not so sure that that's what God wanted me to do today, so I didn't do it. But sheep should not make their own decisions. Look, in the Christian life, Jesus has already made your decision. You accept him as your Savior, you follow him. That's it. Every time a sheep goes somewhere and they want to eat over here is the moment that they get out of the will of God and they quit following Jesus. So we're not going to talk about either, that either, although I did it for three minutes. Okay? So we could also talk about how we should always do different things and sheep, but we're not going to talk about that. What we're going to talk about today is this. The metaphor is a flock. And that means you must never... Go it alone. You must never go it alone. A, a group of sheep or, or some sheep that decides to go it alone and, and Jesus is here and they decide to leave the fold and do their own thing for a little while is easy pickings for the enemy. A sheep that's on its own never goes to the right spot, never gets to the right spiritual meal, never gets to where they need to go. Their walk is never strong in the Lord Jesus Christ when they go it alone. We are not made to go it alone. We are made to follow the one true shepherd and do it together as a flock. That's what we are supposed to do. You don't go it alone. You're easy pickings. A group of sheep, going alone, depending on how many of them would determine whether or not they can actually defend themselves from an enemy. But we are not designed to go it alone. I want to illustrate this with, and I know this is a kid animated thing, but it does illustrate this very well. Um, and it, it's, first one is ants, 
So just put up with it and see the point. And then the next one is crabs. So just put up with it and, and see the point. Okay, is that fair? I know this isn't children's church, but for a few moments, we're all going to be children. Okay? That was the best time in life anyway. Right? So here we go. called to flock together, and the reason is you, it's hard to get a bunch of us. It's easy to get one of us, right? And we're called to flock together. Number two, about this flock. The enemy is not just outside the flock. The enemy is also inside the flock. A group of people that get together on a regular basis, whether it's a small group in a home or, or it's in this setting and they know each other, there is always some person that comes into the midst that is the enemy, that is a wolf in sheep's clothing. So it's not only that we, we group together and wear a flock so that we protect ourselves from the evil outside, we also group together to protect ourselves from the evil within. And it's only through a group that you can figure out who is the wolf in sheep's clothing by what they are doing. Now, wolves are very, very, very good at what they do. They're very good at disguise. In fact, um, they're, they're so good that sometimes you think that those wolves are the most spiritual people in the, in the church, and they're really not the most spiritual people in the church. It's really this person over here, but they look spiritual. And so they will talk the talk, they will talk the talk, but when the um, tense time comes in the church where there's a disagreement, wolves show their real colors of gray. And they, they're out to devour and, and get up people to follow them. That, that's one key thing about a, a wolf. A wolf likes to get a bunch of people following them and then they try to make a movement throughout the church. That's, that's a wolf devouring people. It, are you tracking with me? I know this is a hard, this is hard, but, but it's still the truth. And so what you, have to, what you have to do is when there is a person that you thought was a sheep and all of a sudden they're gaining a following and they're trying to do something against what the church is doing, that is the moment that you make a decision to follow the one true shepherd and not the wolf. That's the moment that you decide to hook yourself with the people who are trying to follow Jesus in the best way possible and you do not follow the wolf. You do not follow him at all. Or 
you do not follow her at all. Look, we live in America. Genders are equal. You don't follow the wolfette. <laughs> at all. At all. Okay? So flock. We flock together. One true shepherd. That's it. That's the metaphor. Moving on. Turning your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Now, this metaphor is family. That's what this metaphor is. We have heard this many times, right? That, that we're the family of God, that the church is a family. It's a metaphor. It's also a truism, really. It's not just a metaphor. I mean, I am actually in the family of God. It's not just a metaphor. I am actually a brother of yours in Christ, and you are my brothers and sisters. It's, it's, it's that way. We're not blood, like physical blood, but we are spiritual blood relatives of each other. Um, you are going, if you're saved, you are going to spend eternity with me, whether you like it or not. Okay? It's, it's just what it is. Now, when we talk about the family metaphor, we could talk about a couple of things, right? We could talk about how God's our father, that's a hard sell for some of you because of your fathers in this world. But God is our father and he's the one good father. We could talk about we are his children. We could talk about the benefits of being a child of God. There are tons of benefits of being the child of God. There's a lot of costs, but there's a lot of benefits. We could talk about adoption. I don't know if you know this or not, but you and I are adopted into the family of God. We're not really... Jesus is, Jesus, that's Jesus with apostrophe on the end, however you say that. Jesus, possessive. We're not really his brothers and sisters in, in that particular regard. If you believe that, there's, there's Mormons, there's Jehovah's Witnesses, there's people like that that believe that. that. That is not right. We are adopted into the family of God, and we're adopted according to his blood, by the way, is which, what bought us and made us into his family. So we're, we're adopted. We can talk about that book. We're not going, going to talk about that. What we're going to talk about, however, is something I think that, that is very needed um, and something that we need to be reminded of and something that we really um, have a hard time dealing with, I think. So verse, chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in, a tra in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So what we need to talk about is accountability. The church is a place where you and I can have spiritual, Jesus-led accountability. And we all need it. We all need it. Part of your accountability is what you're doing right now. 
Now, you're not sharing with everybody in the room your struggles of this week, but God already knew those struggles, and he put you here at this moment to hear something from this message that will help you with those struggles that you just had so that you can have a better week next week. I mean, that's an accountability thing. You're coming and you're saying, God, I'm going to be with a group of people. We are going to worship, and we're going to try to, try to you know, work this thing out. Another level of accountability is what Galatians 6 talks about. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In other words, you and I are to keep each other accountable. And if we see something that needs to be corrected in someone's life, we need to be able to say that to that person. And if someone sees something that needs to be corrected in your life, you need to be willing to take that conversation and listen to it. We should do it in the spirit of love and that we're all on the same team. So if someone ever approaches you in, in this church, in, in this church in, at Farmington, and they say, look, you, you, your anger is a little bit out of control. You need to work on this. We, you need to think about that because that brother or sister saw something. And you need to think about that. The person that's approaching needs to also think about the sense in which they're approaching that person. Now, I'm not into safe spaces. I'm just going to tell you. I think that's, re there's only one safe space, and that's in the future, and that's when Jesus comes. That's my safe space. I have, he has a place prepared for me, and that's going to be my safe space. Right now, this is not a safe space, okay? We need to get that out of our spiritual minds and be willing to go to the person in love and because we're in, really concerned for them and talk to them about what we see in their life that needs to be fixed. When you do this, and you do this accountability, it can't be, you tell a group of people over here, a big group of people, and then you go over here and you talk to the person. It, it can't be that way. I do think that before you talk about certain issues, you need to get some type of counsel for somebody you really trust and probably somebody outside of the situation. I do think that's, that's appropriate. But if you start telling a bunch of people, that's called gossip, and that actually causes damage, and that's when the wolf gets in, and that's when he starts tearing things apart. You keep it tight, and you keep it quiet. So you talk to this person, and you, and you kind of work things out. This, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the top five benefits of being in a small group. When you are in a small group week after week and you are talking about questions from the passages that we talked about on Sunday morning and you're eating with people and you're getting to know them, those people become the people that you become accountable to in the church that know you personally, know your struggles, and it's not going to go outside of that small group. That's why we're very careful and I, we, I ask questions, I make sure that the people are comfortable with, with people in small groups and they're comfortable enough to open up. That is a moment where people should be able to open up and say, hey, I'm struggling, I, I'm struggling with this this week, I've struggled with this, I've struggled with this, I need your help. Can you call me and make sure that I'm not falling into that temptation tomorrow? So someone in your small group calls you during the week and says, hey, you, you haven't taken a drink, right? Good. How's your mind? Is it clear? Good. Have you resisted gossiping? Good. 
Have you treated your spouse better this week? Have you kind of dealt with the frustrations that you have toward them? Are you treating them more like Christ wants you to treat? Yes. That, that's a small group. See, that is something that you can't do in the, the big room. You, you can't do it here. For instance, if Dennis decided to come up here to Dennis York, decided to come up here and stand and just tell you all of the stuff that he struggles with during the week, it would be a moment of terror, a moment of like, oh my, are they really doing this? What kind of church are we in? You know, and, and then after he sits down, I go over here and say, John, you're next. Come on up. You need to share everything. We need to be accountable. Um, you're next, Jim. Come on up here and do it. At some point, somebody's going to refuse to come up. I would be one of the first people to refuse to come up, okay? Because that's not what this is about. See, just because you're a family doesn't mean that you have to know everybody's family business. But you do need to have some close members of the family that you confide in. And if you think about it, in your real family, you have people that you don't want to know anything about what's going on in your life, and you have people that you share with. True? Right? So you share with those people that you really trust that will keep it between you and them. That's what you do. If you do not have accountability, you will fall into the sin over and over and over again, and you will not get better. God designed his church to be a family so that we can support each other and kind of avoid some of these sins and get rid of them. It's part of the Spirit's work in our life. Amen? So that is the family. Here's the last one. Okay? Turning your Bible to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We'll read verses 1 through 11. It says this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that, he does, that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Brother, oh, neither, sorry, my eyes. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So the metaphor here is branches, 
Everyone that has received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior is a branch. Now, from this metaphor, we could talk about a few things that we're not going to talk about. Okay? We could talk about dead branches. What happens to them? They're burned. We could talk about the Jews. We could talk about the Gentiles. By the way, in Scripture, those are the only two races. One, Jesus chose the Jews, and second, everybody else seems to just be Gentiles. We could talk about all that. We could talk about the branches that burn. We could talk about fruits and, and how you're connected to the vine, you, you have fruits. So we could also say a metaphor is the church is a bunch of fruity people, right? Fruit loops. We could, we could do, you know, stuff like that. However, I want to talk to you about something a little, a little different, a little different. I want to something else is really what I'm trying to say. I want to talk to you about life. We are a branch, and if you are grafted into the vine, which is Jesus, you have life. So next screen. In the, in the next screen. Thank you. Yeah. So life. So life. There is a vine in the back of my house. It's not in my property, so it's not really in the back of my house, but it's behind my house. There's, the, there's a fence, and there's this vine. Um, about, I don't know, a year ago, my fence fell down, and I had to repair it. So what it did was, that vine has always gotten on my nerves. It always comes across the fence. So I took this moment to go over there and snip it at the very bottom and just try to get rid of the vine. I even tried to pull it out of the ground, but it was a little bit too big for me to do that, so, so I, I, I didn't do that. The reason I was, I was kind of courageous enough to go into my neighbor's property, one, my fence was down, but two, they were trying to sell the home so they weren't in it. So I felt like I felt very secure to go over there and try to take care of this vine before the new people bought it, right? It just felt I felt like I could do that, and nobody would ever be the wiser. So I, I, I chopped it, and then I took, I took some, some poison, and I put it into the thing, right? The, the it's not a stump. It's the big part of the vine, just hoping to kill it. This is something that my wife suggested, and I thought, well, this is a great idea. So, so I stuck it in, and it's a concentrated d dose, right? And so I was building this fence, and I was watching it, and it was withering away right? It, it, was, it was actually killing it. Well, about three weeks ago, a little vine came up over my new fence. And then, you know how you put up boards on a fence and then there's little slats in between them? In the last three weeks, I don't know what has happened. Maybe it's the rain. Maybe it's something. That vine has come through my fence and has started attaching itself to my fence as if to mock what I have done to it in the past. So I took my little ladder, and I just wanted to know if it was a new vine or an old vine. I just wanted to know. And so I took my little ladder, and I, and I got up on the ladder, and I looked over, and lo and behold... The stump or whatever you, I don't even know what you call it, is still alive. And out of the bottom of it, like the, the top part is dead, 
But like you get here, and there's stuff just growing all around it. And it's, it's like bigger than it ever has been. And it's just absolutely huge. Absolutely huge. While I am leaned over the fence to look at this and try to figure out, okay, I, they're not home. How can I cut this down? How can I get rid of this and why they are gone, right? Because I am that neighbor. So I'm trying to figure it out. Over here to my right, I hear a... And I look up, and it is a German shepherd. Which I don't know if you know anything about German shepherds, but they're not exactly nice if they don't know you. So I back down really quickly. I'm scared of dogs anyway. Back down, jump down the ladder, took the ladder, and just went on. And the vine has just got a protector now, and it's just going to live. I'm going to trim it on my side of the fence and just hope for the best. You cannot kill, in my estimation, you cannot kill a vine that is still in the ground. Listen, you cannot kill God, they've tried. You cannot kill Jesus, they've tried. You cannot kill the Holy Spirit, they've tried to suppress him. You can't kill him. They are always going to have life. And you and I as branches need to make sure that every day of our life, we are attached to the vine, which is Jesus Christ, so that we can live the life that he wants us to live. Amen? You can't kill him. This means if you are appropriately attached to a vine, if your branch is appropriately attached to the vine, no matter what comes your way, you are going to be able to weather that storm. If you are attached to the vine, you are protected, though you feel like you're not. You are protected from anyone snatching you out of the Father's hand because you are saved, you're a part of the vine, you are a branch, and you are his forever. The life that you can have when you attach yourself to the vine is absolutely incredible. And it's a life that isn't of this world. I have struggled my whole ministry trying to figure out how to, how to really, like in a picture form, describe the life that you have when you're living in Christ and the, and the life you don't have when you're living in the world. I, I've, tried, I, I've tried to come up with different scenarios and stuff, and currently, I, I just, it's hard for me to describe. It is something that I think you just have to experience. When you attach yourself to Jesus, it is so remarkable that it's very hard to describe. I can describe to you the dead life that you think is life. I can describe you if you... If you do these things, and if you, you go to these places, and if you do this type of worldly stuff, I can describe to you what that life is, how it doesn't really benefit you, and how you're really destroying your life. I can describe that very clearly, because I have experience. I mean, I just know it. It's really simple. And it's not a God life. Do you understand? It is a human life, which is far more insignificant than the life that you can have in the Lord Jesus Christ and live for him. When I am grafted into the vine, when I am getting all my life source from the vine, there is nothing in this world that can stop me. There is nothing in this world that can stop you. You may feel like it's stopping you, but it can't. It may convince you 
that it's stopping you, but it can't. Do you remember last week, the strongholds? Do you remember that? I just need to know how much setup I need to... Stronghold, there were strongholds, right? And, and I told you that um, there's a wall, and the stronghold isn't the wall. The stronghold is actually a place where they hide because they know they're being overtaken and they're going to make their last stand. Remember that? So after the sermon, I, I think through just too much after, like 30 minutes after sermon, that's where my mind is. So I was thinking about this, and we have, because we're the army of God, have progressed and we have gained ground, right? It's ground that's not ours, but we have gained ground. And they have lost ground, the people that are not of Christ. I was trying to figure out what, what would be a better way to actually describe that, and I realized that what the enemy has lost is time. I have eternity. The cross knocked down their outer walls of defense. The gates of hell have not been able to stand against the church. The church is marching on because we have more time than they have. And so scoured back is, is all your enemies and all your temptations and your flesh. And they're like, we've got to get them. We've got we to gotta, we gotta have our last stand. But their last stand and the time that they have to come out of hiding is running out. We have all the time in the world. And when you graft yourself into the vine for life, it is a life that isn't of this world, that's why it's hard to describe. And it is a life that is eternal, and it is a life that is going to last beyond what you see here. And once the strongholds are down and Jesus returns, you will be very glad that you abided in the vine and had fruit according to that life because you'll be in eternity where you can worship and praise his name and present the gifts that he has given to you right back to him. The number one reason you lay up treasures in heaven is not because you're taking them to your dwelling place, but because the more you have, the more you can lay at your Savior's feet. Live in the vine. I believe, because Jesus has said it, that a church that operates as a flock together, and a church that operates as a family and accountability, and a church that grafts itself into the vine, which is Jesus Christ, is a church that can't be stopped and is on focus and is doing great things for God. Amen? And that is what our church needs to be, and I believe that we all have a heart to have that as the church that we come to each week. Right? Yeah. So there you go. That's church metaphors. That's the end of it. So let's pray.